you stand with me as we read, please? We're reading from two passages, John 8 and also Colossians 3. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put away all anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie one to another, seeing that you have put off the old self which with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Good morning. We've started a new uh, discipleship effort here at Rockwell Prez. If you were here for the congregational meeting a couple of weeks ago, you are somewhat familiar with what we're trying to do and some of the theological reasons behind uh, what we're doing. We've summarized the new discipleship process as cross-community and new creation. Cross refers to what happens on Sunday mornings between worship and RPC classes. Community refers to the new community groups, which are larger groups that bring people together for fellowship and prayer. 
And cultivate refers to uh, what will be cultivate groups. They haven't been rolled out yet, but there'll be groups of just three or four people of the same sex who meet together to study God's word, uh, to pray, to hold one another accountable, to confess sin together. It's a, it's a higher bar of uh, practicing discipleship in community. And so you might ask, why do we think this is important? And why are we holding it out as the way forward for us to grow in discipleship? That's a very good question, and one that we hope to wrestle with this morning. Let me begin our wrestling by asking you, what do you desire out of your relationship with Jesus? It's a very sincere question, and one that I don't want you to rush to answer. What do you really hope to get out of your relationship with Christ? You might say freedom from sin or forgiveness or right, a guaranteed ticket to heaven. Right? As long as I don't go to a place of wrath and destruction, I'm not really concerned about what else happens. But in our passage today, if you look at 831, in which Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus offers freedom. Do you desire freedom in your relationship with him? Do you know freedom? What is Jesus talking about? Freedom from what? Do you actually have a taste of freedom in your life? Or as you think about your life, are you more inclined to think, I don't feel very free. I move unendingly from one activity to another. And I'm constantly in motion. I don't have time for myself. We're way overcommitted. I don't know what freedom is. Or you think, I don't feel very free because I've been struggling with the same sin for the past 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years, and I always go back there. I don't know what freedom is. Or you say, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what freedom is because even though I love and try to pursue Jesus, my, my life, my heart is, is dominated by ongoing fear and anxiety. And I just can't shake that. And so I don't feel like I really know what freedom is. What is this freedom that Jesus holds out to us? And why might we say that we don't actually experience it? We don't taste of this freedom that he offers. What is its nature? Well, let's try to chew on that. Uh, Once Jesus says, um, if you abide in my word, right, you have truth. And in this truth, there's freedom. This is the offer he's making to the Jews that are present in his hearing. Word is truth, and truth offers freedom. And of course, in John, Jesus will identify himself as that truth. The Jewish response, the response of those gathered there in his presence, is fascinating. Because Jesus is offering freedom, but what do the Jews say in response? Look at verse 33. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? The Jews say, you are talking about freedom, Jesus, which makes no sense to us because only a slave needs freedom, and we're not a slave. We've, we've never been a slave. Now, that on one, one platform is a very funny answer because slavery is a big part of the Jewish story, right? In terms of coming up out of Egypt and being uh, released from bondage by God's hand, not only that, but right now, As this story is unfolding, Judea isn't free. It's under the thumb of Rome. 
Right? So in a sense, very much, they are, are slaves in the sense that they don't have complete freedom. But that's really not what the, the Jews present mean. It's not really precisely what the response means. Really what they're saying is, we are children of Abraham, which means that we are the chosen. We're the elect of God. We've received God's revelation. And so we are privileged amongst all people in the world. And so whatever you have to offer, Jesus, whatever you think provides freedom, you've got it backwards. We're the freest people here. Well, Jesus makes it clear that their freedom or their sense of freedom is a presumption. It's a presumption upon God's grace. And they've so presumed upon God's grace that they're missing grace in the flesh that stands right in front of them. They assume that they have a freedom that they don't have at all because Jesus goes on immediately to say anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. In other words, he says, you think you're free. No, every one of you is a slave. Only the Son is free and the Son is standing in front of you. It's a warning to us, right? A reminder that we too can presume upon God's grace. Think for a moment how similar the stories are. The Jews standing there would have said, we're the chosen of God. We've been selected by His grace to receive His revelation. We are free. And how much that might sound like we would say in the church, we are the chosen of God. We are elect to receive His revelation, His salvation. And as a result, we are free. One of the things you have to keep in mind in understanding Jesus' freedom, is freedom never comes in terms of, right, you get it in one delivery. Right? That suddenly you just, you confess Jesus one day and repent of your sins, and all of a sudden you unwrap the box that is labeled freedom, and you're completely free. Right? As we'll see in Paul, freedom is something that's worked out as you participate. And so, if you presume upon God's grace, or assume that, that somehow that freedom is already established, then you will deprive yourself of experiencing greater freedom. And maybe that's your intent. Maybe you don't really want to be free. Because freedom is a pretty scary thing. Think of Brooks in the Shawshank Redemption. The old man who gets out of prison at the end of his life. He spent his entire life in jail. And once he's released, what does he do? He tries to engage society, but he can't. Right? It's too scary. The freedom is overwhelming to him. And he wants to go back to jail. He wants to live within the boundaries that he formerly knew. And he decides that life is so scary on the outside and that he doesn't have a place, so he takes his life. Boys and girls, you know this story too, Entangled. When Rapunzel first leaves the tower, what is her response? This freedom is scary. This is a dangerous place. I'm not supposed to be out of the tower. I should go back to mother. As you begin to taste freedom in Christ, it is scary. Because you are being called to depart from all of the rubrics that you've established to engage life. You are called to uh, remove yourself, as we'll see in Paul in a moment, from the old self. And the danger, right? So what happened for the Jews? The Jews created an illusion of freedom. They said, we're free. God's already rescued us. He's already revealed himself to us. Jesus says, no, your freedom is an illusion because it hasn't actually granted you any deliverance from sin. You're still a slave to sin. The law hasn't set you free. The law has only defined sin. We run a similar risk when we come into the church. We want to talk about freedom and talk about growing in Christ. But often 
we allow or baptize our old selves to exist and continue to thrive even. Imagine someone who, uh, say their priority, their, their, their ruling passion, what I mean by that, what gives them significance and what they live for, is relationships. And perhaps even for, say, a woman, maybe she's found her, the predominance of her significance and identity and what will save her in relationships with men. She converts and comes into the church and she gives up that aspect. But she comes into the church and still, what is her ruling passion? It is still relationship. And so she forges relationships within the church. But she still really isn't made new. Those relationships are still dysfunctional because if you talk to the people that know her, they would all say, yeah, I feel exhausted by her. She devours me. And what's happened? You have someone who has come to Jesus, who has confessed Jesus, who has tasted a little bit of freedom but continues to live according to their old nature in the church, according to their old self. In other words, they've... They want a little bit of freedom and a little bit of truth, but not so much that it actually compromises the way that they've made their way in this world. And you could do this in any number of ways, right? Think of someone who's, um, who's really, the ruling passion is to be significant, to be unique, to be noticed. And they come into the church and they decide to be a pastor. Huh, why were they drawn to be a pastor? So they could be unique and noticed and upfront, Right? And so their old way of living, their old self, what gave them significance apart from Christ, even after conversion, continues to do so because they haven't really known the freedom of Christ. They haven't moved forward in that. Right? For uh, the woman, she may need to know what it is to be satisfied in a relationship solely with Christ. For the pastor who wants to be unique, maybe he needs to understand what it is to serve in the background. And not to have to rely upon this thing that gives them significance. You can name all kinds of things. The desire for control. The desire for competence. The desire for fun. What, What do you highly value? What are you very committed to? And when it's threatened, what do you you know, when do you find yourself getting upset or angry? Are these things that really govern your whole Christian life as well and you've not done business with? The Jews lived, yes, having received grace, but having a presumption of freedom that wasn't true. Are you living in the church having received Christ, but living under a presumption of freedom that's not true for you? Which you can't say, I don't really know what Jesus means when he talks about freedom. And I can think of all kinds of ways that I don't actually feel free. What is it to actually know and understand the freedom that Jesus offers? Right? If everyone who practices a sin is a slave to sin, according to 834, that means unless you're saying you're sinless, you're a slave to sin. Jesus says that only the son is free, that a slave doesn't have any place in the house. The Jews were assuming we're in the house. We're good to go. Jesus says, no, you're not. You're a slave, and a slave can be removed any time. Only the son has the authority to remain in the house, and only those to whom the son shows favor have that same authority. Do you live in that grace that is extended to you? The invitation to be a true son or daughter. Not a son or daughter who is pretending and continue to live by your old heart, but a son and daughter that is made entirely new in the image of Christ. That's the invitation that Jesus offers. And if you don't think you know freedom, 
Maybe it's because you haven't really labored at it. The invitation is laid down, but what does it mean to actually experience that freedom? Well, Jesus says in John 8, 31, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And in 8, 36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. But how is that freedom experienced? This is where Paul helps us as we go to a post-resurrection exploration of this notion. What does it mean to be liberated in Christ? Paul says, in essence, it means that you are called to actually invest in doing two things. Getting undressed and getting dressed. If you notice, this is the language that Paul uses. In verse 1, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And in 3, 9 and 10, which is really the heart of the passage, Paul says, Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The ancient rite of baptism was based on Colossians 3. In the ancient church, you were baptized uh, men and women separately. And that's because as you approached the baptismal pool, you took off all your clothes. And you went down into the waters, and as you came up, you were given a new, clean set of clothes. And it was meant to, to, uh, to capture this reality. That you had put off the old self and were putting on the new self. And even though that's a beautiful metaphor, it's a little bit misleading. Because it suggests that it happens all at once. Right? And indeed, right, Christ does bestow his affection upon us as he calls us to believe in him. But Paul is describing a process in which ongoingly you must put to death the old self. It's more like a continually undressing and continual dressing, right? That it's not done simply in one moment, nor is it something that can uh, be put off or, um, or, or approached in a lax way. You know, the danger for us is a lot like uh, the, uh, the Truman Show. You know, John, Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey is living in this bubble and being filmed all the time. And he realizes eventually that he's in a bubble being filmed. And so he's desperately trying to get out of the bubble. The danger for us is Jesus comes and says, you're in this situation of sin. I've come to bring freedom. My words bear the truth that will grant you freedom. And we see, okay, and we, we go a few blocks, right, from our home in the bubble that we've created, but we really don't want to travel farther than that. We really like where we live. And we don't necessarily want to embrace the freedom that Christ offers or engage in what Paul is describing, which is this ongoing put it to death of the old self. The Puritans would say that you must uh, unceasingly be stabbing the old self, the old nature. It doesn't go away easily. In fact, it doesn't go away in this lifetime. There's really not, if you're serious about following Jesus, there's really not a day that you can wake up and not say to yourself, how today am I stabbing my old nature? How am I putting it to death? And how Am I being made new in Christ? How am I putting him on? On the days you don't ask that question, guess what happens? You're being pretty friendly with the old self. Because if you're not intentional about it, right, that's the default. That's where you end up. And so our Christian life becomes very much like, um, well, you know, the average American's approach to the deity, and certainly probably my approach, Right? You get to a place where you think, oh, I kind of need to shed some weight. I'm going to do a diet. And, but even as we say this, America is getting heavier every year. Right? And so I say, you've got all kinds of choices. Whole 30, protein, all meat, no meat, carbs, 
right? You name it. It runs the gamut. And so we engage it for a little while, and we shed some pounds, but what happens? Well, something stressful happens. You think, you know, I'll pick this up later, because right now I need something that's going to comfort me. Or you think, this has just gotten really old, and God made bacon, and bacon is good, and that's, I'm going to embrace my freedom, right? And so you pursue that, right? And as a result, right, you do this basic cycle where ultimately over time there's no change. That, that's a pretty good description of what we struggle with in our journey with Jesus is we taste some freedom, but we realize our old self has big problems. And say, I'm going to be really intentional about putting this part of my old self to death. I'm going to, to engage this that will help me to en- engage the new self. And we do that for a little while. And there might be a little bit of change, but then something stressful happens, or we get distracted, or we just think, you know what, that old self was a bit more fun. And I found, a, I believe, even though it's a lie, I believe that I found more life there. Even perhaps more freedom. And so we go back to live in the old self, and over time there's not that much change. And this is one of the things I want to hold out to us today, and as we move forward in terms of considering these groups, perhaps, just perhaps, there is a grand and wonderful vista of freedom in Christ that you don't know because you haven't really labored to put to death the old self and to be dressed in Christ. But what if you did labor at that in a sustained way? What if you labored in that in a way that you didn't give up and you didn't go through a cycle and you reached a place that you didn't even know existed where the beauty and the grace of Christ is breathtaking? Where you say, I know exactly what freedom Jesus is talking about because I experience it day in and day out. And that old self, I'm still stabbing it, but there's a lot less of it to stab. When we don't do that, our lives, our Christian lives are like a bad sci-fi movie, right? You're in the space and the alien creature comes and they're like, this is really bad, it's going to get us all. But it's still small and not very powerful, so they, they kill it, but they miss a piece. And the piece crawls off right under the bench and goes and hides in the ship and mutates and grows. And then it comes back way stronger and kills everyone on the ship. Right? That's the old nature. Right? You, you can't, you, if you stop stabbing, it, it regenerates pretty quickly. And it often becomes stronger and consuming. Right? So this is what Paul is calling to us. Putting to death, laying aside Everything that would characterize the old self. And it's not, a, it's not a complete list, but it's a list that identifies many of the sins with which we may struggle and the ways in which our hearts can be hard. And instead of that, he says to us to put on the new self, to be clothed in the image of Christ. Well, how do we do that? How do we actually engage that? Now, that's a question that will take, could take a long, long time to answer, but there are two things that I'd like to highlight for you in our passages. The first is that in 831, Jesus says that those who are truly his disciples abide in his word. And in Colossians 3.16, Paul will will make a similar point saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. There is no renewal, right? There is no understanding the old self and putting it to death and putting on the new self unless you are abiding in the words of Christ, which means dwelling in, 
right? Moving into that house. So, right, a fair question is, does your, could your time in the words of Christ or in the word of God, right, we, we would use those terms interchangeably, does your time in that place right, actually, um, could it actually be described as abiding? Right? Are you setting up house in the word of God? And if not, right, how do we know what is the old self and the new self and the ways to go about that exchange? You know, as I entered the new year, um, you know, I typically do a reading plan that's great, but I was, I was convicted that I really needed to spend more time in God's Word this year. And so it took on a much larger, um, a, 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 a pretty significant increase in my daily reading of God's Word. And I would tell you that it's been a long time since I've known such freedom, since I've known such clarity. All right, as I come to God's word, I know truth. I know Christ. I receive wisdom. Right? I hear God speaking. And without that, there's not an exchange of old self, new self. So now all of us are in different places when it comes to the word. Some of you aren't reading your Bibles at all. Right? What if you read a paragraph a day? Some of you do a reading plan, but you could do more. Right? What does it mean to you as you pray? What does it mean to abide in the words of Christ? Right? This is the core, right, both to Jesus and to Paul speaking of what it means to know Christ's freedom. The second thing I want to point up to you is that if we were to skim Colossians three twelve through 17, I'm not going to read it again, but if you just skim that passage, which is the description of, of the new self, the characteristics of the new self, right? What is required for you to engage in the new self? Other people. There's almost nothing in that list that you can do alone. The vision for our embracing of the new self requires participation in community. It is something that is undertaken not as an individual but is labored at together as we teach one another, admonish one another, forgive one another, love one another, right? It's very difficult to teach and admonish and love and forgive yourself. In fact, if you make a practice of it, you're probably going to be a pretty dysfunctional person. And this is why we're talking about groups, places of community in which these characteristics of the new self can actually be played out. And so again, it's going to be a number of weeks before cultivate groups unroll. But this morning I wanted to challenge you, right? Ask you, do you experience the freedom of Christ? Is that something that you celebrate? And if not, then perhaps, I'm not saying I know the answer to this question, but perhaps it's because that you're not really laboring to put the old self to death and to be clothed in the new self. How do you go about that then? Do you want to be made new? Do you want to be experience freedom? Or are you very content to live in the bubble that you've created? If you want to live in the bubble, I understand that some of you are there, and when you decide to move out, we can talk. But for those of you who don't, right, there are two ways in which you begin. One is that the Word of God abides in you, and you get serious about it. But two is that abiding of the Word starts to happen in community in which you're willing to live confessionally with another person and to talk about the scriptures together 
and be able to play out what Paul talks about in Colossians 3. You say, well, I'm already in the church. I can do that. No, you can't. The ancient church met all the time. They were getting together frequently. They were sharing meals together frequently. We have reduced church to an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. And you can't possibly come anywhere near to fulfilling uh, what is expected, nor experiencing what is, what is held on display if you think that church can be accomplished here. And so if we want to be serious about being free, and I want to be free, right, there has to be other venues in which to begin to engage these practices. And so I hope you'll consider it. Now, some of you won't be there, right? You're just not in that place, right? And so one thing that you can do as you think about community groups or as you think about cultivate groups and as they roll out is simply pray. See, God, if you would have me be in a community group, move me in that direction. Or if you'd have me be in a cultivate group, move me in that direction. God, God beckons you to freedom. Together, let's embrace it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the freedom that you grant us in Christ. Uh, Jesus, we praise you and thank you that your words are truth and they set us free from captivity. You are the Son and you have made us brothers and sisters. And for this rescue, uh, we are profoundly grateful. Would you forgive us for ways in which we continue to humor and give life to the old self? And would you encourage us in putting it to death? Would you uh, encourage us to long to be made new and for our hearts to Uh, to be made uh, more flesh. Only you can do this, but you've called us to participate. You've called us to be active in this process. And so would you help us to take our sanctification seriously and to long for the freedom that you've held out to us. We ask for your grace in this and for the equipping uh, that is only possible in the strength and power of your spirit. Amen.